0: Thank you for joining ReachMD XM-157 for this month's special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry. We've all heard about the promise of stem cells. Where are we on the journey towards treatment with stem cells? You're listening to ReachMD XM-157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, and my guest is Dr. John Kessler. Davy Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Chairman of the Davey Department of Neurology, Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago. Dr. Kessler is one of the world's leaders in stem cell research to repair central and peripheral nerve damage. He joins us to talk about how stem cells might be used to treat disease. Dr. Kessler, welcome to ReachMD.
1: Thank you, Bruce. I'm happy to be here.
0: So what is a stem cell and what is a stem cell niche? A
1: stem cell is a cell that has three properties. First, it's basically an immortal cell. It can divide indefinitely. Second, it has the capacity for self-renewal. That means it can make absolute identical copies of itself over and over and over again. And the final trait, the one that makes us particularly excited, is that the stem cell can give rise to all the differentiated cell types in the body. Now, the stem cell exists in the body Surrounded by specific cells and extracellular matrix materials that create what is known as the stem cell niche. And it is that special environment that allows the stem cell to retain the ability to self renew and to continue to divide indefinitely.
0: So, how can stem cells be induced to differentiate into these specific cell types that we've been talking about?
1: Well, when stem cells first are taken out of the body, for example, and put into tissue culture, in the absence of the stem cell niche, they will actually start to differentiate on their own. So the first thing that we have to do is learn how to keep them in an undifferentiated state, which is what part of the pioneering work of Jamie Thompson and others were in learning how to culture the human embryonic stem cell. Once we have a stem cell in front of us, we can think of a variety of ways of differentiating it into the cell types that we want. First, we can expose the stem cell to growth factors, that is, proteins that activate cell surface receptors that then initiate a signal transduction cascade that tells the cell to become a specific kind of cell. Part of that signal transduction cascade includes what are known as transcription factors. These are proteins that specifically bind to DNA, turning on certain genes, and turning off others. So a second way of differentiating stem cells is by specifically putting transcription factors into the cells that will turn on and off genes that ultimately make the cell become the desired cell type. A third way of doing it is simply by culturing them in contact with other cells that provide a mixture of signals. And then a final way, uh, one of the less elegant ways, but one that's being used a lot, is simply to allow the cells to differentiate on their own and then use cell sorting techniques to select out the cells that we want.
0: So what type of stem cell will be the most useful for the treatment of damaged organs, including those in the brain?
1: Well, there's, of course, some difference of opinion and debate about this. There's no question that the embryonic stem cell is the cell that has the most capacity to generate the most different cell types, and long-term, it's likely that that's going to be most useful for treating virtually all organs, including the brain. There have been some recent developments in which it's been shown that it's possible to create pluripotent cells from adult skin that are very similar to embryonic stem cells, It remains to be seen whether those cells will be similarly useful. I think many of us think that ultimately they will be. It will also be possible to use the so-called adult stem cells or ones that are more limited to individual organ types, such as the neural stem cell, to repair certain specific elements in the brain. But again, I think we all believe that it is going to be the embryonic stem cell or cells similar to it that is going to be most useful for therapy.
0: So what different strategies can be used to induce stem cell replacement of cells in damaged organs? Well, we
1: can think of a variety of different types of strategies, three of them specifically that that represent the most common ones. The first is to take the stem cell, have the stem cells outside of the body, for example in tissue culture, to differentiate them with the techniques that I discussed before, and then putting the stem cells back into the organ of interest to allow them to replace damaged cells. So that, for example, if we were thinking about treating Parkinson's disease, a disease in which a specific kind of neuron, a dopaminergic neuron, dies, we would differentiate the cells in tissue culture to dopaminergic neurons and transplant them back into the brain. A second strategy would be to inject undifferentiated stem cells, allow them to migrate to the injured organ, and then perhaps provide factors along with those cells to help push them into the desired cell types. A third strategy is to inject growth factors to stimulate stem cells that are already present in organs. One of the big surprises in our field has been to learn that organs, such as including the brain and such as really virtually every organ, continue to have a population of stem cells throughout adult life. Now, this particular strategy, although it might sound unlikely, it's actually already being used for the bone marrow where we inject specific growth factors that can induce the differentiation of red blood cells or erythropoietin, or a variety of ones that can induce white blood cells and so forth. And we can think about doing the same thing ultimately, perhaps for the heart, the brain, and other organs.
0: And of those three different strategies, which one do you think ultimately is going to show the most promise or are we going to be using all three or combinations?
1: Well, I think we're likely to use all three. The one, of course, that would have the most intellectual appeal is stimulating cell's Stem cells that are already present in the body to, to do the work, but I think that we're very far from doing that for many organs. And I think the likelihood is that we will be using stem cells that are cultured, differentiated, or be, the differentiation pathways begun in the tissue culture dish and then have them injected back into the damaged person.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. John A. Kessler, Davy Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Chairman of the Davy Department of Neurology at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago, about how stem cells might treat disease. So what are some of the specific scientific and technical obstacles to using stem cells to replace damaged organs?
1: Well, of course, the first one is something that we've already discussed. We have to learn how to make them differentiate into the specific cell types that we want. But then a second problem is that we have to make certain that those cells survive after we transplant them into an organ. And in fact, in many, perhaps most instances right now, the cells tend to die when they're transplanted back in. Then the third thing is we have to get them to integrate into the organ so that in the nervous system, for example, we would have to get the cells to wire up to the other cells in the brain. In the heart, they would have to learn to couple with other heart cells so that they beat together in a synchronous kind of way then we have to learn how to give them an appropriate blood supply so that they will function normally. Because if we transplant the cells in and generate a new area of organ and there's no blood, then the cells will die. And then a final problem is that the cells, unless they are derived from cells from the person receiving them, will be attacked by the immune system, so we will have to immunosuppress that immune system so that the cells are not rejected. The goal of our therapies ultimately will be to learn how to derive stem cells from the patient, differentiate them, and transplant them back in so that we can avoid that immune
0: problem. So let's talk about these different technological problems, and let's look and see if we already have or can design some potential solutions. So... The first part is differentiation, you said. Do we already have solutions to that issue?
1: Right. I I discussed that a little earlier in the show where I mentioned four different strategies that we can use for differentiating them. And I think we're well along our way to being able to get most of the cell types of interest. Then there's the question of survival. How do we go about to get them survive? And you can think of two strategies. One strategy is to endow the cells through genetic techniques with proteins that will support their own survival, so that, for example, we could allow them to secrete growth factors that keep themselves and their neighboring cells alive. Alternatively, we can think about altering the environment of the cells into which they're transplanted so that it provides stimuli to keep them alive. I think that is going to be the real secret of stem cell therapies, to find ways to engineer what's known as the extracellular matrix or all the materials surrounding the cells to keep them alive, and that's going to require nanotechnology and material science technique. Getting them integrated, I think, will be more of a problem in the nervous system than in most organs because we have to get them to send processes long distances, and I think actually we do not yet know how we'll do that in the nervous system, which is one of the th- reasons I think the nervous system will be a more difficult target than most other organs. With respect to the blood supply, we already know that there are proteins such as a vasoendothelial growth factor, which will attract into areas the growth of new blood vessels. So I think we we have techniques for addressing that issue as well.
0: So one of the things we didn't talk about, though, is controlling the future or further differentiation of stem cells. There's been some early work where stem cells look like they became cancerous. Is that another risk, and do we know what to do with that?
1: So that's a big problem. An embryonic stem cell, if simply injected into the body will cause a tumor called a teratoma. So it is absolutely essential that these cells be pre-differentiated before they're injected into a human being to minimize the possibility of cancer. Now, one could argue that you can never fully eliminate that possibility. So another strategy that can be used is to put what's called the molecular leash in the cell. And the molecular leash is a system which, when activated, will lead to the death of those cells. one that's commonly used is something which I don't think is the optimal one, is something where you can put a gene called thymidine kinase, which is not normally present. If you then feed a patient a drug called gancyclovir, that gene will kill cells that have that particular enzyme. So that is an example of a molecular leash, not one that I think we're likely to use, but something similar to that.
0: Is cell replacement the only potential clinical use for stem cells?
1: Even though we speak all the time about cell replacement as the primary use of stem cells, I actually think that the first and largest use before we learn how to use them for cell replacement is going to be for what we call cellular gene therapy. We've all learned the difficulties of trying to use viruses to deliver genes with the subsequent development of of tumors and other kinds of problems. What we can think about doing is engineering a stem cell to secrete a gene product of interest or a drug and then using the stem cells to deliver those genes to the body. And, in fact, trials like this are already underway. There's a trial going on using neural stem cells to treat a disease called Batten's disease, which is genetic deficit that normally inevitably kills infants or young children. And the hope is by using cells to deliver the gene product that you can prevent progression and perhaps even reverse that disorder.
0: Besides Batten disease, what other diseases of the nervous system are likely to be the first targets of stem cell therapy and why is that?
1: Well, I think the first target for cell replacement is likely to be Parkinson's disease. And the reason for that is that in this disorder, one single type of neuron, the dopaminergic neuron dies, leading to the overwhelming majority of the symptoms of the disease. So that we only have to think about replacing one specific cell type. And in addition, that one specific cell type can be put into an area of the brain where it can deliver its products, the dopamine, to exert the biological function. And we do not have to have those cells scattered throughout the brain, wired to many, many different types of cells. After Parkinson's disease, it's more difficult to predict. I don't think there's any one target that stands out. Perhaps Huntington's disease would be the next target after Parkinson's disease.
0: I want to thank our guest, Dr. John Kessler, Davy Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Chairman of the Davy Department of Neurology at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments please visit us at reachmd.com where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.